It's a long time ago, isn't it? I know. <laughs> I think the last time I went was quite a few years ago, and um, everyone's changed. And I think they all had their wigs on except me. And uh, <clears throat> we were all sort of granddads now. But it's, it's good because it was an initiative that came about through an email, and as you know, oh, let's get together. And so I was lumbered with the task. Anyway, I spoke to one of my school friends going back a few years, and he was a Jewish lad. And I, uh, the, I went to a grammar school in St. John's Wood, and there was quite a few Jewish boys there. But the whole, you know, the whole thing about Israel and Jewishness didn't make much sense to me because I was in a different place as a young teenager. It's only when I got saved and came in to the fullness and the truth of, of Israel and what um, God was saying in his own word that it made sense. So I shared this with Trevor, he's my friend. He was absolutely knocked over. He said, I never saw that coming. He said, not from you, Coombs. He's called me Coombs. He said, oh, Coombs. He says, what's happened to you? He said, and I want to hear more of this, but it wasn't the right place. You know, we were all chatting away. So now that I've got this second uh, opportunity, it's Trevor who sent me the emails of some of the other Jewish lads that weren't able to come the last time. He said, make sure you send Martin one and, and send this one. So I've emailed all of them, so I'm waiting for their responses. I've had some positive responses so far. But I think he's very keen for me to share my discoveries about Israel and so forth because they really feel pushed against the wall. You know, a, a lot of Jewish people, they really you know, take heart and are warmed in their souls to know there are folk who understand. And certainly, I, I, I've tried not to give a sympathetic view, I've tried to give a spiritual view and to show how loved they are of the Lord and how blessed they are. So pray for me, that's on the 1st of June. <laughs> so if you could remember that, I'll remind you near the time. But the other one's um, another testament. Tomorrow I'm shooting a video professionally um, in Watford. Uh, with the Citizens Advice Bureau, but I've got three politicians turning up, and I know them all. Uh, the Mayor of Watford, Peter Taylor, who's a Liberal Democrat, and the current standing Conservative MP, uh, Dean Russell, and also the prospective Labour MP, Matt Termain. So they're all going to... I've kept them all at different times, by the way, <laughs> so they don't all meet. <laughs> but I just pray that the Lord will give me some even if it's a word, an encouragement, or something to share with these political people that uh, would make sense. So it's a great opportunity, isn't it? God gives us these wonderful opportunities to, to connect with all these people. Let's just pray before we begin. <clears throat> Lord, I just thank you that you uh, are in the business of placing us in the main line of fire. And Lord, we know that's not always an easy place to be. Lord, if the truth were known, we all like to have an easy life, a comfortable way. But so often, Lord, we are in that place where we have to face up to uh, the things that are before us. And we thank you. Lord, give us your grace, give us your words, and give us your strength to stand firm for Jesus. I ask you, Lord, that you will breathe upon your word this evening, for his name's sake. Amen. 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 I was looking at a subject, and I'm um, going to ask Chris to bring it up. I don't know, you might have to put a light off or something. I don't know, not too many, because I won't be able to see much. But <laughs> I'd like to address this whole area of the firstborn in the Bible, inaugurating 
the new covenant. How many firstborns have you got in our midst? Who's a firstborn here? One, two, three, including myself. Yeah. So we're all very rich. You see, we've all got tons of money. We've got all the inheritance. I haven't even got a, a sweet wrapper <laughs> to show off. <laughs> even though I'm the firstborn in my family. I never knew my father because he, he, he and my mum split up when I was, you know, just a baby, really. I was about three years of age and uh, so forth. But, I mean, there are, certainly in the, if you go to the East, um, certainly from an Asian background, the firstborn has a position. It's quite important. Nowadays, there's not so much emphasis on it, certainly not here, but not so long ago, back in the 50s, I think those rules still applied, didn't they? I don't know whether they still do. Maybe someone can correct me about the firstborn rules, about inheritance and so forth. Now it's a little more fairer, I think. But um, certainly biblically, there are, there's a real significance about the firstborn, and we're going to look at that. And you know, it's quite an intriguing subject, really, which is worth looking at, given the prominent significance that it uh, plays in the life of Israel, in the life of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and also in the church. In the Old Testament, of course, the firstborn son, it's a male, it's always, been, it's always a male that's the firstborn, was, well, the one who inherits, by the way, it's the male, if he's born first. And he was the one who normally received a double uh, blessing, a double inheritance. We know that from scripture, don't we? And, and he was the one who would inherit his father's role, his father's position. And he would also be the head of the family, really important. And... We, we see that in the, uh, the parable of the, uh, the two children. But that's a strange playing out there. Because the younger one got the inheritance, didn't he? He took his share, which is quite unheard of. And he disappeared. And the older son was bitter when he came back. You know, why didn't you kill the fatted calf for me? But there's, that's a whole different sermon, I know. But um, it's quite interesting to see how that worked out. But it shows you the father's love that he was full of love for both his sons. But also, sometimes the order is reversed. The order is reversed. And, and we know that from Scripture. We see that with Jacob and Esau, don't we? And we also know that you could sell your birthright. It had a value on it. So if you're a firstborn, you might sell that birthright to somebody if they want to buy it off you. Not really. It may not be worth the paper it's written on. But we see that in Genesis 25. And as Jacob later did the same thing with Ephraim and Manasseh in Genesis 48. And we also know that Reuben, he was the firstborn of Jacob, wasn't he? But all his rights and his firstborn inheritance was taken away from him because of sin. So things can change. And the Bible shows us that. But it has two meanings. I'm using pictures here because it actually helps to give a context to what we do, but don't take too much notice of the pictures. That's just to help you put things in perspective, okay? So there are two meanings. The first is a more literal uh, sense where the child, the firstborn, is a biological firstborn of a father. That's pretty obvious, isn't it? It's the first one. That's a literal meaning. But the second meaning, it's really, it refers to the rights and the authority of that son and the position as I've put there, the position of that um, child. Really important, because they are the firstborn. And our Lord, he's the firstborn in several ways. But uh, I'll tell you a bit more of that 
later. But most of all, he's the one who has been appointed by God to be in authority over all things. At the name of Jesus. What does the Bible say? Every knee will bow. That's real authority, isn't it? One day, all these wokisters and all these people who say all these terrible things, they will have to bow their knee before him because all authority has been given to God's firstborn. I'll just quote the scriptures. I won't read all of them. I've got a few to read. That's in Colossians 1, 13 to 23, especially verses 15 to 18 if you're taking notes. But I'll unpack that shortly. And closely related to uh, the, the, the word firstborn is this word son. They tend to go together. The firstborn and son, the, the, the two expressions, they are synonymous. And we see that in Psalm 27, for instance, um, and uh, 2 Samuel 7:14. What does it say? This is what the Lord says. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. And the 2 Samuel scripture says, I will be his father and he shall be my son. God makes it absolutely clear in his relationship to his son. And he wants all the world to know this unusual and special relationship. And as I said, those two expressions of um, firstborn and son are synonymous. Now, this isn't about the birth of our Lord because we know he's eternal. He's an eternal as declared in John 1, 1 to 3. But it's about his insulation as the king with God's authority in the earth. He's the king in, on the earth. The focus of the firstborn plays out in many directions, and I've tried to sketch that out for us here. And I've got three areas that I'd like to cover. The first point of focus is Israel. Israel also called Ephraim in uh, Exodus 4.22 and Jeremiah 3.19. And Israel as the firstborn son of God. The second uh, point, I said we're, we're going to come back and visit them. I'll just lay them all out for you here. The second point is our Lord Jesus. He is the firstborn son of God. Hebrews 1.6 says, But when, when he again brings the firstborn into the world... He says, let all the angels of God worship him. Let all the angels of God worship him. Jesus' credentials as a firstborn are absolutely rock solid. And they're worth making a note of. Well, firstly, the firstborn over all creation. That's what he's called. The firstborn over all creation. The scriptures are there, so if you want to look them up, you can. But I will read some of them. And the firstborn is a messianic title. It's a messianic title, as the Jews themselves interpreted. The promise regarding the Messiah. This is what it says. I will make him my firstborn, higher than the kings of the earth. Jesus is higher than the kings of the earth. Clearly, firstborn is used to denote special honor. So when Paul says of the Son that he is the firstborn over all creation, he means that the highest honor which creation holds belongs to him and then we know that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead that's another uh, expression that we pick up and when Jesus was resurrected it was the day when the Jewish high priest offered up the first fruits 
of the barley harvest. And this fits accurately with Jesus being the first fruits in the resurrection of all believers. Just as in the Jewish barley harvest, there were first fruits to be reaped, so too there must be first fruits in the resurrection of the dead. And Paul called him the one who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Did you pick that first bit up? Who is the beginning? He started it all off. He started it off. Without Jesus, there is no resurrection. We just die. We will just be dead. And think about it. You may have your sins forgiven, but where are you going to go with that? He had to die and be resurrected as a firstborn from the dead. That our salvation, our eternal life will be complete. It's a wonderful story. And it says, who is the beginning? He started off that wonderful process. Number three, the firstborn among many brethren. He's the firstborn among many brethren. Romans 8, 29. And the term brethren is also synonymous for believers. God's primary purpose in his plan of redemption was to make his beloved son the firstborn among many brethren. Speaking of, the, uh, of Christ's unique preeminence uh, um, um, among the children of God, of course. Those who trust in him become God's adopted children. And Jesus, the true Son of God, graciously deigns to call them his brethren, accepting us into God's divine family. Isn't it wonderful that term is actually used as soon as he was raised from the dead, wasn't it? When he met the disciples. Go tell my brethren. It was complete. You see, he started it. It began. He couldn't quite say that before he had died and risen from the dead. But as soon as he rose from the dead, that was the first thing that came out of his lips. Go tell my brethren. The firstborn among many brethren. I think he was... I wouldn't say dying, that's a human term, isn't it? dying to tell them. But, you know, he, he couldn't wait for the moment to share that. Wonderful, wonderful. And God's purpose is, of course, to make us like him, to make us like Christ, to share in his resurrection. And he created this wonderful family that he might be the preeminent one. Moving on there, the fourth point. The firstborn son of Mary. He was a firstborn son of Mary. Remember, we've touched that. He was a firstborn over all creation. He was the firstborn from the dead. He was the firstborn over many brethren. And now he's also the firstborn son of Mary. Why is that important? Well, Jesus, although he was conceived by the seed of God, the Holy Spirit, that came upon Mary, Mary could say that Jesus was her biological son because it was out of her womb that he came, wasn't it? She bore him and nurtured him, nursed him, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, just like an ordinary baby. Wonderful story. And thus fulfilling all prophecy, confirming to us that his birth was truly miraculous. Isaiah 7 and many other scriptures, of course, make that absolutely clear that a virgin will bear this child. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. All those wonderful titles that are given to him. And, and it has a strong spiritual implication for us. And this firstborn child was dedicated for service. And was being prepared by God 
for the greatest battle in his life. He was being prepared for a battle. A battle which he had to win. He had to win this battle if life was going to carry on. Wow, that's a tough call, isn't it? That's a really tough call. He knew what he had to do. The Bible says he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. Amazing. He knew that. And he knew that when he was growing up. And he went through with it. If you knew you were going to die in six months' time, in the way that you're going to die, how do you think you're going to feel? Unexpectedly. <laughs> but he knew what his calling was. That's why he was prepared for service. That's why he was set apart. That's why he was the firstborn son of God. And that's why God said, listen to him. Listen to him. Because he had the answer in his obedience, in his love. It's a battle that he had to win. If not, all humanity will be lost. He was born as the firstborn son of Mary to stand in the gap for all the sons of the fallen firstborn son of God, Adam. Adam messed up badly. That's why we all sat in this church here. <laughs> we wouldn't be sat here, would we, if Adam didn't mess up? <laughs> but God has a wonderful plan. The firstborn of Mary is also the secondborn, Adam. Now, the third point then, let's move on. So we looked at that. The third point of focus, remember we covered Israel, we just touched on Jesus, and we're going to come back to Israel as well, is the church. The third point is the church. Those who are in Christ. And I like that word because we're meant to be in Christ, but is Christ in us? We speak to many Christians, I'm sure you do as well, and I hear some strange things coming out of their mouth. I don't question their salvation. I'm not God. It's not for me to make that decision. But they do say some strange things sometimes. But, you know, hey, we all have the same word. We all have the same star. And God is working his plans out. But those who are in Christ, and that's the, the type of the firstborn, the first fruits in God's creation, and part of the firstborn congregation. Hebrews 12, 23 puts it like this. To the general assembly and the church of the firstborn. To the general assembly and to the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. Do you know, I've read that scripture so many times and it kind of hit me again. On the earth you get a voting register, don't you? Do you get one? We do in Watford and it's put your names in the same place and if anything has changed or if anyone has left your home you need to put it and return it. If not, you just let it go. Because you're on an electoral, electoral list, isn't it? That's right. Electoral roll, thank you. And you're on a list. Your name is there because it's a legal thing. But it's those who are registered in heaven. Are you on heaven's electoral roll? Are you on there? Because the Bible says we have to have our names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. It's a register. It's written in. And if you're unsure in any way at all, come and have a word with me. I'd, be, I'd love to pray with you. Because we do encourage people to, uh, to, to look at who Jesus really is. And unless our names are written in his Book of Life, we don't have a part with him or a share in, in eternity. Don't leave these things to chance. I did say three. There's actually a fourth one. So I've been, not telling you porkies, but there is a fourth one as well. 
We can't forget him, can we? He started it all off for us. Adam. Well, it's not quite him, but you know. She looks a bit like Clayton, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Clayton's doing a good job, I have to say. <laughs> Procreating, going forward, wonderful. But, you know, Adam is, is in there. And, uh, you know, I've already made reference to him, of course. But he should qualify. Because he's also the firstborn son of God. He was the first one that God created, wasn't it, as, as, as a man. And we see that in Luke 3.38. And although Jesus is the last Adam, or the firstborn in the eternal order, Adam is the man that we, you know, go back to. He's, he's, he's our, I can't even say great, 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 because I don't know how many generations that goes back. But we all go back to Adam, of course. Adam died. We know that. They all lived for a long time, but he died. But Jesus, being God and raised from the dead, he is eternal. And he took over as a second Adam and did what the first Adam failed to do. And I say a big hallelujah to that because of what Jesus did as the second Adam, the firstborn of God. We have eternal life. So, let's ask a question. So, why does God focus on the firstborn? Why is the focus Having dealt with the firstborn males in Egypt, you know the story well in Exodus, uh, with, the, with the judgment of death and having rescued the Hebrew households from the same judgment with the covering of the, the sacrificial blood on the, you can see on the doorposts and the lintel, that was something that all Israel had to do. It was given to them by Moses that he said, if, you know, you need to do this. And uh, you know the story. It's a whole um, wonderful story of, of uh, salvation, of covering, of rescue of God's people from slavery. But Israel has been consecrated to God, the whole nation, as his firstborn son. And Moses was given the words to say to Pharaoh. This is what he said. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord. This is not what Moses was going to say. God told Moses what to say. He didn't want Moses to make a mistake or to get it wrong. He says, you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord. It's not Moses. Israel is my son, my firstborn. Israel is my son. Can you see the ownership? God owns Israel. They didn't just spring up out of nowhere. It's his son. It's his firstborn. A wonderful story. Israel is my son, my firstborn. The emphasis here is on two things. Sonship and birthright. Sonship and birthright. And this was was no ordinary rescue plan or a rescue of, a, of an oppressed band of people. But it was God's own son, his firstborn. Can you see the emphasis that he puts on when he rescues Israel? He heard the cry not of a oppressed people. He heard the cry of his son, of his firstborn. Who among you wouldn't respond? Those of you who are parents, who among you would not respond to your child's cry? Who among you? It's a no-brainer. He responded to his son. 
and the prophet Hosea puts it like this. When Israel was a child, I loved him. Can you see the tenderness of God's heart here? He saw the child growing up. He says, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. They went into Egypt because of disobedience. We all correct our children, don't we? <laughs> we say, now you've been very naughty. But, um, you know, God knows exactly what his heart is all about. He says, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I have called my son. Now, here's an amazing thing. In Matthew's gospel, just after the visitation of the, the wise men, Jesus is taken to Egypt because of the terrible slaughter of the babies. You know the story so well. And Mary and Joseph took this little baby, put it on a donkey, and rode out to Egypt because that's where God told them to go. And uh, they had to wait there until the death of the tyrant that was in Israel was fulfilled. Because they were then, you know, going to be Israel. Isn't it strange? Israel was persecuted by another tyrant, in, by Pharaoh. But they're full of tyrants all over the world. Have you noticed? The Jewish people are facing tyrants all over. That seems to be their lot. I get, I get asked all the time, if God loves us so much, why do we have so much suffering? There's no other nation on earth that has so much suffering. Really, there, there isn't. You, often, you have to wonder why. But it's his child. It's his firstborn. Do you not think he's going to care for them? Make no mistake about it. God's heart, his hand is on this nation. And he will bring them through according to his wonderful plan. But they need to go through a time of suffering. They need to go through that. It's an amazing thing. And this is what it says. And I put the he in brackets because that's not there. But it's actually... That's who it refers to. It says, and he was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord. Have you noticed? It's the Lord who speaks. Always God endorses it with his own accreditation there. Go tell Pharaoh that the Lord, I the Lord am saying it, not you. See the import of these scriptures. It's spoken by the Lord through the prophet. That's the human agency. But it was God, the Lord, saying, out of Egypt, what I have, I call my son. That's about Jesus. So who is his son then? See, Jesus identifies. The Messiah identifies with Israel. You can't separate it. Kathy and I were staying with a Christian. They're a lovely family, really. But they are trying to reach a lot of folk from um, sort of Muslim backgrounds. And um, they said to us, you know what we're doing? We're kind of, how shall I put it? They said, we're ex expunging the Jesus bit. And we're preaching more the Christ bit. And we said, well, tell, tell us a bit more. They said, we're, we're kind of taking the Jewishness out of the, of the gospel. I said, how could you do that? I said, it is all full of Jewishness. It's the one thing I saw. When I got saved, there were Jews coming out of every corner in my Bible. <laughs> I, I, could, I was trying to work it out. I mean, what are these people doing here? Because I was told that the, I'll be sold to the Jews if I didn't eat my food. That's in Sri Lanka, in a tiny little island. Yeah, I'll be sold to the Jews. That, that's a sort of awe I had. And there were Jews everywhere. But this couple, 
They wanted to take the Jewishness out of Jesus. Can you see what the world's doing? It, 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 it's terrible to be Jewish. It's, 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 don't keep the Jews away. Oh, they're in for a big shock when they meet the lion of the tribe of Judah. Yes, they will meet him one day. And then what are they going to say? And it's wonderful. Well, we as God's redeemed people were brought out of slavery ourselves. All of us can go back to a story of where we were imprisoned, where we were in darkness, where we were really dead until someone came and touched us, until the God's firstborn touched us by his spirit. You know that wonderful story I told you when I was a backslidden Christian. I was a young man in my late teens. I was all, you know, everything was fine. I had my two-tone tonic suit at this wedding, you know, and I had this long hair. Yes, I did. Long hair. And, um, you know, I was walking, strutting around, you know, showing people to their seats, you know, with a swagger. And a little hand grabbed hold of me as I went past. And it was a lady who actually brought me to the Lord. Auntie Lorna, I called her. And she said, hello, son. And she just looked at me with tears in her eyes. And she said, I've been praying for you. She didn't need to say anything more. That so convicted me. I could not enjoy that wedding. I went home that night. My heart was just beating. And I knew the next day, which was Sunday, I had to go back to the church, to the place that I left. God took me straight back. And it's, um, I never looked back after that, of course. God is so good. Just like Egypt when they were brought out of slavery. You know, it's, it's a terrible place to be in slavery. But there may be some of you in your minds you might be enslaved by things. You might be just held captive. Well, Jesus can set you free. Yes, he can. He's done it for millions and millions of people. Now, sometimes a problem doesn't go away. Sometimes you're going with a problem. But he still loves you. And he still walks with you. And he still wants to draw you to himself in love. He wants a good outcome for, for you. Bear that in mind, won't you? So, let's return to those who are now called God's people. These lights. Not just their escape from slavery in Egypt as a great liberation, but more significantly, to be free to worship. They were free from slavery, but they were free to... What did they do when they came out of Egypt? God took them out to worship, didn't he? To recognize who he was. A child does recognize its parents. And, and, and that's what you do. It's a family relationship. They were freed for consecration because God wanted to set them apart. Are you aware that every one of you has been set apart? For a very special service. You know, we don't all do the same things, of course, because we're all different people. But make no mistake, you've been set apart. The day you were saved, the day Jesus came into your life, you've been set apart for service. To, to serve your master and your Lord. And they were freed, I say, to, to, to serve. Set apart for service. It was his special possession. And the blood of the lamb was the redemption payment for the deliverance of the Israelites. Remember, blood is always linked wherever God goes. I had a little Hungarian lady. She says, I don't like reading the Old Testament. I'm going back many, many years. Kathy knows who I'm talking about. 
And uh, she said, I think you're a very nice young man, but you keep talking about the blood of Jesus all the time. <laughs> she said, don't talk about the blood. It's not good. All this death. <laughs> I said, but he died. <gasps> don't say. Don't say. <laughs> People find it hard. Humanly speaking, we find it hard, don't we? Why? Why blood? Why death? Because only through death can come life. There's no other way. What the first Adam got wrong, the second Adam, through his death and resurrection, put right for us. Amazing story. It's an amazing story. Never ceases to move me. No son of Adam can stand before a holy God without a sacrifice. A sacrifice offering on his or her behalf. So if you come before the Lord, you all bring a sacrifice. Are you aware of that? You say, well, I haven't got a lamb. Yes, you have. He's in there. The lamb of God. You come with Jesus in there. He is the sacrifice that you bring. It's a wonderful story. Let me just read a scripture here uh, from Exodus. I'm reading from Exodus 3. Sorry, Exodus 13. Three verses, 11 to 13. If you've got your Bibles, Exodus 13, 11 to 13. This is a wonderful story, um, of, and it provides a, a wonderful picture uh, of redemption, another redemption story. This is what it says. And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and gives it to you, that you shall set apart to the Lord, all that open the womb, that is, every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have, the males shall be the Lord's. But every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And all the firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. So what this story is that it says that the firstborn donkey belonged to God. Is that significant? Think. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Who rode a donkey? Yes. And it made it very clear. It was the colt, wasn't it? It was the colt that he rode. And he told them where to get it. Because he identified with the firstborn. And that has a redemption picture there. So if you weren't going to have it, you break its neck and you think, how cruel. But that's the way it is. So generally you would redeem that by offering a lamb sacrifice to get that donkey. So it has a price to it. The firstborn donkey. Firstborn donkey, remember. And um, it belonged to God. God said, it, that belongs to me. Remember, if anything belongs to God, don't mess with it. Do you belong to God? A few heads are nodding. Yes. I hope all your heads. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Carmen. Don't let not Satan mess with you. No, you are not on the back foot. We as believers may be made to feel very small and be shoved into a corner. But that's because we have the Spirit of Christ. We don't retort and respond back in the same way. But they are messing around with God's personal property because you belong to him he owns you he is your master and woe betide those who come against you in that way let me look 
at another scripture. You all know this one. It's about the Levites. It's actually a very large story, and I realize I had to cut it short. If not, I'll be here all night. Um, Numbers 3, 11 to 12. I'm reading from Numbers chapter 3, verses 11 to, to 12. This is what it says. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Now behold, I myself have taken the Levites from among the children of Israel, instead of every firstborn who opens the womb among the children of Israel. Therefore, the Levites shall be mine. See? It's another thing that God has done. He separates to himself a group of ministers, a group of priests to minister to him. And uh, the Levites were set apart. Why were they set apart? Because they had to stand in the gap. God knows that we are rubbish at doing all this. And Israel were no good at it. So he made a way of helping them. He made a way for things to be easier for them. God will do everything in his power to reach you. Are you aware of that? He does, he's not a standoff, aloof God. He's right here next to you. Speaking into your heart right now. He will do everything in his power to get your attention, to touch your life. They were to stand in the gap as priests, as God's firstborn. God's firstborn son for exclusive service. However, since his intention is never to kill the firstborn, as shown in Genesis 22, by sparing Isaac. Um, you know the story. When Abraham was going to offer him, he spared Isaac. The, he instituted the Levitical priesthood who would offer sacrifices for themselves first and then for the rest of Israel. See, they had to offer sacrifices for themselves, for cleansing. And we do the same thing. We bring our sacrifice and place it on the altar, don't we? We say, help us to be a living sacrifice. You have to. The pattern is exactly the same. God doesn't change. You do, I do, but God doesn't change. The pattern is the same. We're all circumcised. Yes, we are. Because our hearts are circumcised. If you're a Jew here, you will have a physical circumcision. But God still, if you've got the Messiah, if you have Jesus, Yeshua in your life, he circumcises you and brings you there even though you're a Gentile. So we are grafted in together. It's a wonderful story, isn't it? We're together as a family. And it's, it's amazing. So God redeems the Israelites by the Levites and he redeems the Levites through the animal sacrifice. Both pointing to the ultimate sacrifice, the perfect Lamb of God in John 1.29. And Jesus is that sacrifice and, and the mediator of the covenant. Ratifying it, how? With his own precious blood. He came first as the perfect Israel of God. He is the perfect Israel of God to save Jacob and all those who would believe in him. Let me read Isaiah 49. I haven't got many more scriptures. Isaiah 49, 3 to 6. This is what it says. Isaiah chapter 49, verses 3 to 6. And he said to me, you are my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. That's the future, isn't it? Remember what Simeon said? A light for the Gentiles and the glory 
for your people Israel. It hasn't quite happened yet in that way, but it's, it's coming. Oh, it's coming. It's great, isn't it? In whom I will be glorified. Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and in vain. Yet surely my just reward is with the Lord and my work with my God. And now the Lord says, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel is gathered to him. For I shall be glorious in the eyes of the Lord and my God shall be my strength. Indeed, he says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. See that whole thing about light and glory is encapsulated in Isaiah's prophecy there. And in this age, of course, we know that the gospel is for individual needs. We preach to the one-to-ones. That's actually quite true because I think if we go back to the 60s, there were all these mass rallies at Billy Graham and Louis Palau and all these other great evangelists. We don't quite get that now, do we? we? And I really believe it's a winding down of the time that it's the whosoever. It's the whosoever believes. And saints, I just want to encourage you, whoever whosoever God brings in your path. And you all know that. It could be family members, your neighbours, people uh, at work, people you meet in the supermarket, school friends, <laughs> people you meet in profession. They're all opportunities. They're all opportunities. And God is setting us all apart to reach out these people one-to-one. Be, be, have your spiritual ears open for that. And as the Passover lamb, Jesus fulfilled what did he fulfill the spring feasts and he became the first fruits from the dead at his resurrection and in this way the new covenant is fulfilled well i say fulfilled but partly as as partakers only of the spiritual blessings promised to the jews in romans 15:27 its full benefits will be realized when at the second coming the full benefits will be uh, realized at the second coming when the Messiah returns to fulfill the three remaining feasts that are yet to be fulfilled. You know, Tony's given us fantastic teaching all of this, so I'm not going to repeat all of that. But when national, that's when national Israel will be saved and enjoy the full promises, the full blessings that they're due. No one's going to argue about their boundary near Gaza or wherever. They will have the full blessing and all they should have. The blessings of the, of, uh, in the kingdom. This was a promise to the firstborn son and, and his brethren. We are his brethren, of course, the church of the firstborn from the dead. So, Jesus replaced the Levitical priesthood with his own eternal priesthood as the firstborn son of God. Standing in the gap for Israel. And that phrase comes through so many times that he stands in the gap because we're not able to do it. Someone bridges that gap between east and west, left and right, that we may have a smooth passage through. Remember, he first came for the lost sheep of Israel. Jesus came for the lost sheep of Israel. You don't see him preaching to the whole world, do you? He could have. He's God. 
He could have gone all over. But he came and he dwelt in the Decapolis, the ten cities, Jerusalem, and in that area. It's a very small area. But look what happened. Because he trained others. And after Pentecost, what happened? The church was broken up, wasn't it? That was not a terrible thing. It was persecution. But that's how God got us out. And the Acts 1 verse 8 promise was fulfilled. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It all makes sense, doesn't it? It all makes sense. Jesus replaced that. And um, I'm heading off towards the end here. Hebrews 7.21. We just read that. God had preordained the appointed hour when his son will be offered in place of sinful Israel and the whole world. And the exact hour he will enter heaven to take up his office as high priest. It must have pleased the father to see the firstborn son do all of this. He actually said it of him, didn't he, at his baptism. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. God was well pleased. He used hip language there. He was well pleased. But he was. It was a pleasing. And he actually recorded it so that we will read it and understand that this child, this little baby who grew up, he was groomed and trained and nurtured for this task to be the firstborn son, the firstborn from the dead, the firstborn of all creation. And his hour would come, and it did come. He was never, ever redeemed with a sacrifice. Jesus was never redeemed with a sacrifice because he was perfect. He was the sacrifice. He was the perfect sacrifice. To, and he, he was led to the altar. He was led, actually he walked. He staggered, but he insisted. He needed to get there at any cost. Remember I said he had to win the battle at any cost? He was determined to go there. He was determined to go there. And he, he walked to his altar, carrying, and someone had to help him because he'd just collapsed through the sheer whipping and mutilation of his body. As, as a man, he just couldn't do it, but he did. He was also the high priest offering the perfect sacrifice of himself to God. And Paul, writing to the Philippians, he says this, that this was an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. There's that word again. It was an acceptable sacrifice and it was well-pleasing to God. He took the place of all of Adam's offspring and uh, as the once and for all perfect sacrifice that will not only cover sin but will remove sin. See, I've got that there. How did he do that? Well, you remember in the altar they would cover it with white um, it's not paint, it's the, um, what's it, lime, isn't it? Yeah. And the altar will be absolutely white. And then they'll put a lamb and slay it. And what will, all the blood would drip. So you would see the blood starkly against the white lime that's on the altar, the stone altar. God wanted us to see it. He wanted the Levites to do that so that Israel would see it, to know that his firstborn son, was being sacrificed and he would be the one who would be the kippurah, the covering. But not only that, 
he would remove sin because for as much as they made their offering, they would still be in sin. They'd have to come back regularly. The high priest had to do that. We know that every year. But isn't it wonderful? Not only is our sin covered, it's removed as far as the east is from the west. And Israel, if they'd only believe it, if they'd only believe their Mashiach, well, how, how much freedom they would have to see this. But they still argue about these things. But their sin is not only covered, it's removed. And there's actually a, a scripture, I think, in Zechariah 3.9 that speaks of God removing sin in a day through the branch. That's a, another messianic name for the, for, for the Lord. It's in Zechariah 3.9, I think. He remo- it says he removes sin in a day. It's never happened before like that. Only Jesus, God's perfect servant, will stand before God as his firstborn son to live a sinless life under God's holy law so that he would qualify as God's perfect sacrifice. That word keeps coming up again and again. He's a perfect sacrifice. Think about it. Think about it. He lived a perfect sinless life in order to do what? In order to qualify to die. Now, you and I, we get trained, don't we? And you say, well, I've been studying for this PhD or this qualification and whatever. He did the training. He went through all of it and came out with flying colors. Why? To die. He was trained to die. That was his end game. So that you and I might be free. Let me close with this last slide. On the eighth day, when Jesus was circumcised, it was also, according to Jewish tradition, the naming day, when the name was given to the child. You shall call him Yeshua, for he shall save his people from their sins. It was given directly from God, and that's his name. And it signified his dedication and setting apart. He was resurrected, remember, on the eighth day of the Passion Week. That's when he was resurrected as well. And it was also when the high priest presented to God the first fruits of the harvest. Everything was in perfect order. You cannot question this. You cannot, you know, uh, pull up an error. You really can't. God did it perfectly. It's there for everyone to see, including the Jewish people. And many folk who study the Bible of late Philosophers have come to that same conclusion. They cannot fault it as much as they would like to because it is perfect, because it's been carried out by a perfect sacrifice. That's why. And we have this wonderful assurance, saints, all of us, that we will all have new life with him in new resurrected bodies. Why? Because that little baby who was dedicated as God's firstborn, is absolutely faultless and we can rely on him. And he was set apart to be a covenant for his people, Israel, and we pray for them. We continue to pray and work for that end, inaugurating the new covenant to come, promised to Abraham, to bless Abraham, to bless Abraham's offspring and all the nations on the earth. It's a huge plan. And God has never kept it a secret. He's always made it clear to all of us. And um, I've just done my 
my best to share that with you this way. Don't shoot the, <laughs> the messenger, but I hope the message gets to our heart. That's really what God wants from all of us, is for us to go out and share. Time is against us. Who knows? I may drop dead. I don't know. My wife's looking at me strangely there. But who knows? I nearly did. Tony nearly did. But God's given us another opportunity, hasn't he? Why? Because he wants us to serve him. And I remember saying on the, that, the, the Americans call it a gurney, don't they? When you're on the operating table. I don't know what gurney means. Is that some strange name? But on that operating table with 13 people around me, and I was in this thin little green undignified little thing <laughs> I had nowhere to go I couldn't do anything they were going to send me off to Bobo land I just said Lord just give me a body if I'm to come back that I might serve you and he's done it for me that's for me personally what has he done for you you can ask the question yourself because one day we'll all have to stand before him and what are we going to say Hopefully won't be embarrassed. But God is on your side. He's doing everything in his power to encourage you and to draw you to himself. Let's just pray. Father, I just thank you for giving us your precious word and for giving us your own firstborn son that we might be the inheritors of great things, eternal life, the forgiveness of sin, the cleansing of our minds and our hearts, the ability, Lord, to be transformed by the re renewing of this mind, to speak to uh, our friends and family and all with whom we shall have to do with. Give us, Lord, great boldness, spiritual fortitude, and, Lord, uh, an unashamed approach to sharing your love. Lord, you were not ashamed to share your love with us on a cross through a naked man, your firstborn son. Help us, Lord. Help us to not pay back, but Lord, to do the thing that you called us to do. Because one day our reward will be great with you. We ask your blessing on this church and all that we pray for in Yeshua's name.